never thought that 51 years ago I'd ever be asked to be a guest speaker here. <laughs> wow, we've been through a lot, haven't we? COVID, does anyone remember COVID? Do you remember being shut down for how many months? 10 or whatever. I was mad at the elders every week. I can't grow without being in community with people like you. Yeah. And you can't grow without me, so just admit it. Uh, we need each other. That's what his word said. Just being with a fellow sinner saved by grace makes you uh, grow. It'll make you grow. Um, it's good to be with you. Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians. That's in the New Testament. And uh, some of you, have some of you discovered Genesis yet? Okay, th thank you, Catherine. I saw that. Uh, having a revival, they found Genesis. I want to speak on what you don't know can hurt you. What you don't know can hurt you. Um... It's amazing that uh, warning signs slow down, curb. I saw that sign. I saw it clearly. I didn't do it, so I rolled my car. Found out I needed glasses. I was 19. God spared my life, but I ignored the sign because I saw another road that went this way. The sign said, curb. This was a frontage road on farmland that I thought was Highway 4, but no Highway 4 was here. Slow down, curve. I will not. I'm driving a VW. I'll go any speed I want. That sign's not for me. What you don't know can kill you. Bridge out. Slow down. Stop. What you don't know can hurt and ruin your life. A beware, poison. Uh, I, I wish they would advertise that before they lace the candy with fentanyl. It's killing our kids by the thousands. What you don't know can kill you. And here's Paul. He's going to pray for the saints. How do you pray for the saints? I was praying for Valley. What does Valley need? Uh, most of you say, well, uh, we need uh, shorter sermons, uh, more music. Uh, oh, we need, we need different staff. I don't like anybody. Well, that's part of your problem. When I get right, the world looks bright. When you're down and you're out, you're not fit to choose anything. But listen to what he prays. Are you ready? Do you know how to pray? I've never been in a prayer meeting where anyone prayed this way. So I hang out with Paul so I don't forget how to pray. Because if I hang out with most Christians, they don't know how to pray. So let's join the club. Let's join Paul. Let's pick it up. Verse 15. For this reason. That's a weird way to begin. He's told them 14 verses of what God has done for them in Christ. Now, because of that, listen, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped griping about you. What? I can't hear you. I'm getting older, and I taught you to be loud. God delivered me from a quiet church. I didn't get saved in a cemetery. I got saved among the saints. I don't need to go and watch the Super Bowl to get loud. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Jesus has come and my cup's overrun. I don't need, I was in a service a few weeks ago. You'd think God had died. At least the pastor should have gone to work for a cemetery. We're among the living. Let's act like it. And watch, he said, I thank God that for you, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So beautiful. The first thing you ought to do is learn to give thanks. That's probably where we ought to begin in prayer. I usually have to start with confession because I'm such a rascal. And you too, probably. And if you could ever get past telling God how much you've messed up, griped, complained, fought with your wife, kicked the cat, don't like the government, can't stand Biden. Does anyone here pray that God saved Biden? You ought to. You ought to pray or save the country. We're in a mess. But God's man here under the Roman Empire, he said, when I think of what God did at Ephesus when I and planted this church. I thank God for the saints, the people he brought from idolatry and darkness. I thank God every time I think about you. What a, what a marvelous thought. I was thanking God for the 51 years that I've been coming to this church. 51 years. I'll tell you right now, we weren't in this building when we started. There wasn't very many of us but God was among us. I've watched what God's done in people's lives. I think of a Tony, my lands, I've known her for so many years. I mean, I know people have been in this church over 40 years. I know what you were before Christ. I just drove by a liquor store here on Appian Way, and I remember the three women that I led to Christ one night across while one of their boyfriends went across the street and bought a six-pack, I was leading his girlfriend to the Lord. He finally got saved, became our youth pastor. I remember, I remember. I have not stopped giving thanks, remembering you in my prayers. Notice what he prays. He asks for at least four things. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's praying for people that he's just wrote to 14 magnificent verses. But I pray that God would give you, I think the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom 
and revelation, understand, enlighten you. We would call it illumination, that, that God would turn on the lights in your heart to what he has said about you in his word. A spirit of illumination. I grew up in a tradition that we were always being told to seek, seek, you know. Even after I, I professed faith, the next thing I was told, seek the Holy Ghost. You need to seek the Holy Ghost. Nobody told me what I had. They told me what I needed. And, and the hearts were right. The motives were sincere. And God knows I constantly am in need of the Holy Spirit. But you know what my big problem was? Is, and I thank some of you. Most of you are poverty stricken because you're so ignorant of what you got. You don't know. You've never read the will. I can't imagine being engaged to a gal, and I'm in the military, let's say, and uh, I just collect her letters, but I never do read them. Could you imagine? And, and there's a lot of you fighting over, with me over which translate. Is it NIV? Is it ESV? Is it New American? Well, why don't you read one of them? How about just reading one of them? Have you read any of them? And then two, do you understand what you read? Do you understand it? Can you tell me? We used to call it nuggets. Do you ever have a nugget? I've talked to some of you for 20 years and you don't have a nugget yet because you don't talk about it. You talk about what you love. I said, you talk about what you love. By the Super Bowl was I could care less. There was nobody I was for to begin with. It's kind of hard to get into it. When, eh. Now I'm for Steph Curry. I want him to win. I like him. You know. But just to be so rooting for a team. See, I'm not getting the payoff. I'm not getting the bonus game, buddy. Send me an offering. I might pray for you. Let's be truthful here. Uh, he's praying that they could get it. And uh, you know what? I had to go to Bible school to understand what the Bible said because in my church, you were guaranteed to grow up not knowing what it said. I knew I ought to pray. I knew I ought to evangelize, and I knew I ought to tithe. Those two things. And let's see what else. Uh, I knew I was going to heaven. That, that was kind of nice. I'm glad they threw that in. I didn't know much more. I couldn't tell you what the Bible said. If you mentioned uh, what Paul mentioned, predestination, oh, we don't believe that. We're not like those Baptists. You don't even know what it is, and you just th rejected it. God believes in it. When are you going to catch up with God? Oh, election. Oh, I can't believe that. That's what those Calvinists believe. You know, they're, they're going to hell anyway. Because you're ignorant, you don't know. He's praying. I'm praying that God would let you see what you've got in Christ. I'm praying that the Spirit would teach you. Turn off the TV. Get rid of all this technology. Get rid of these phones. 
I just heard a guy last night say, we need to make a law that no one gets a cell phone till they're 16. And I said, yes. And that the adults can turn them off so they could hear what God's saying and not some stupid advertisement. If I get one more political signal on my phone telling me who to vote for and who to do, I'm going to vote for myself. I'm tired of it. The one I voted for can't make it in California, but he's going to make it ultimately because he's going to rule over the nations, all nations. He said, well, I pray for you that you'd be spirit-taught, and when he enlightens you, it's interesting. Let me just say this. In, uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a great uh, sermon on a supernatural light, and he used Matthew 16 where he said to Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar, son of Jonah, son of John. For flesh and blood did not reveal to you who I am, but my Father in heaven, my Father in heaven, revealed to an ignorant fisherman on the shore Galilee, what he hasn't revealed to the Sanhedrin court, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. He showed you that I am the Christ, Peter. And just know you didn't get it by going to school, by reading books, by IQ. You got it because my Father in heaven showed you who I am. That is a light. You can't educate it in you. You can't argue it into you. Only God can see that the ignorance and the veil of Satan over our eyes. It's hard to talk to people with their fingers in their ears. And it's hard to make people see with their eyes shut. Only God, only God can break through your prejudice, your ignorance, and your background to show you how magnificent his son is and to show you how magnificent he has been to you in grace. Oh, that we could see it. Oh, that we would relish it. Oh, that we talked about it. You know, it's hard to give away a gospel that doesn't even thrill you. No wonder we don't evangelize. We haven't been sold on it yet. You can't be quiet about what you love. And I hear Piper say, the measure of a saved man and woman, has Christ become your treasure? Not enough to say, did you believe? Everybody believes something. Oh, I believe in Jesus as though that you're doing him a favor. No, you've not done him a favor. Whether you believe in him or not, he exists, he's real, he's God. But when does God show you he is the treasure of heaven? He is our greatest treasure. Christ. We don't build our faith on preachers and churches. We build it on the head of the church, Christ. It's only Christ that enables me to stand you and you to stand me. We aren't so lovely. We're rascals from the womb. But he makes you start loving people. Christ is what we need. Christ is what we want to be full of. But he prays that he will enlighten you, but enlighten me to what? Then he goes on. Two, I want you 
to know the hope of your calling. Oh, look at that. That's such a simple little verse. Look. Enlighten you in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. It's really saying, I wish you would understand the future that's involved in your being called of God to salvation. My sheep hear my voice, and they come. People who are saved have heard the call of God, and it was not just a general, it's effectual. They, they heard it, they got it, they believed it, they have become followers of Christ. And he said, I wish you knew the hope. Now, and when we talk about hope in the Bible, there's two ways it gets us. One is the content of hope. We would call this objective hope, the things promised in salvation. Let's think, what's in the content of your future now that you belong to Christ? Well, let's, hey, let's ask what your future's like when you were strung out on drugs, when you were getting a divorce, uh, when you were hooked on this thing or that thing. What hope did you have before you came to Christ? You were hoping you came back alive from the party. You were hoping you didn't die. I did. I was afraid of world events. I was only in my teens. It was in the 50s, Suez Canal, Russia, all of those. I was kind of paralyzed. I grew up in a war town in Richmond. My dad was always talking about the war. Mussolini, Hitler, Antichrist, prophecy, Israel. I mean, that was in our home. All I was scared to death. I never introduced a girlfriend to my dad. He'd ever so scared I could never get a kiss. He said, are you ready to die? He said, no, I'm just getting ready to have a date. He said, well, because he started talking prophecy. Did you know Jesus is coming? Did you know this is going to happen? Did you know the ten names? Oh, whoa, 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 Dad, don't tell her anymore. This poor girl, I, she's pretty. I don't, want, I don't want her to be a Christian. I want to kiss her. Don't evangelize her. I was scared. And I'd say, God, keep me alive. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I know I'm going to hell. And I was. But God finally spoke loud enough that I heard him. And in a, in a day, I thought the night that I got saved, how everything in my future changed in the night. I left that little Pentecostal church in South Richmond that night. I knew this. I wasn't going to hell. My future had been changed. He'd canceled that. I knew that if I died, I'd be with Christ. That's not too bad, is it? I knew that he'd resurrect my body. I knew all this when I was unsaved because I lived with a dad that told me, and he's bigger than me. I better listen. My future changed. I found out later I was created for good works. I found out he had a purpose for a young punk. I found out all heaven was out there. This was there. I didn't have any of that. All of this and you've got believers around acting like, I don't have any purpose. Uh, well, I don't know what. Uh, uh, uh. And it's not just believers. It seemed like 
youth all across the country living without purpose, got bachelor's degrees, they don't know what to do with it. They didn't get educated to do something. They got educated to make money. Nothing any more boring than money without purpose. And we're living as a country without purpose. I just want to have a good time. I want to feel good. Can't have babies. Can't have children. That's a mess. I just want to have a good time. Living without purpose. So any voice sounds good. Did you notice that Paul is praying? That I wish you knew how God changed your future. There's subjective hope. We ought to be people. He said, he is the God of hope in Romans 15, 13, and you will abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. Now, that, that takes on a subjective outlook. Did you know some people are just negative by temperament? I called a pastor here the other day. I said, I was having indigestion, and I thought of you. So I called. You know, they're just, they're just negative by temperament. You know, I, they, I mean, really, even when they get saved, they're stuck with a lot of the temperament and personality. You can't help it. Your personality is what it is, and we're learning to, to put up, enjoy, or endure it. Some of you are up. I have to say the delight that Rich Rollins was to me. He was the most optimistic uh, staff member I ever had. He was an optimist. I would see the cup half empty, and he would always see it full. And he would say, well, you're a pessimist. And I said, well, you're an optimist. And then I said, and the truth is the realist. It's somewhere in between. But I have a melancholy bent about me. Got too much Irish in me. My mother had it. Can get really blue. They were made to be alcoholics. Just with the melancholy. The fruit of the spirit is bigger than your personality. He can make you have joy even when you want to be depressed. But hope is a positive attitude about future things. Fear is dread. Fear is what negative things are going to happen. See, hope, I've got positive expectations. Are you living with any hope? What's your hope for the future? I've been hoping the stock market would improve. My retirement account can't take any more decline. 14% is enough. My account went 14% down. So you better believe I'm praying whether they raise the interest anymore. But not really. They can have it all as long as I've got Jesus, heaven, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm spending eternity. And today, if you were to talk to me or some brother or sister on the break, would the conversation be hope-filled or would it be despair? He said, "By we abound in hope, the attitude of hope, through the power of the Spirit. 
Romans 15, verse 13. The content of our hope remains the same. He's coming again. He's going to raise the dead. We're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. We're going to escape all pain, all cancer, all death, all misunderstanding, all funerals. All that's going away for us. And, oh, that's not too bad. It took a crucified Savior to give you that. That's part of your hope. Do you ever talk about it? You know, most of you are too prosperous to talk about it. You need to grow up in the projects with poor Okies. We talked about it all the time. It's all we had. Nobody, you know what? When I lived in the projects, we never locked the house. There's nothing worth stealing. We never locked it. Powder boxes. Never. My dad worked on jobs. He brought home old powder boxes that kept dynamite in. We used it for furniture. But you know what? We were the richest people in town. For we were feasting on the riches of God's goodness. Now he prayed that be enlightened. He prayed that they would understand the hope connected with their calling. And now he really is going to pray that they'd understand they were the riches of God, his inheritance. And then he said, I wish you knew the power. I won't have time to even get to the power. I'll save that for the next time the elders get desperate enough to ask me to preach. I'll save the power for the next sermon, okay? Listen to what he says here. This is a tricky verse. I wish you would know the hope which he has called you. And then here, here this has been a, a verse that's bothered me. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, that's a wonderful translation. Because it's not talking here that you would know the riches of your inheritance. That's what I wanted it to say. He's already said that in previous verses, that you have a rich inheritance. He says it twice. But he's talking about here that you would know that you have become part of the riches of God's inheritance. The riches of God's inheritance in the saints. And I thought, man, that bothers me. Uh, you mean I am part of an inheritance for God? God, you don't need anything. He said, uh, what I'm trying to get over to you is my people have become my inheritance. Let me read something to you. Dr. Harold Honer, a fabulous Greek teacher at Dallas, has gone to be with the Lord. Wonderful man, wonderful man. And he has a thick commentary on Ephesians, nearly a 1,000 pages on six chapters of the Bible. He wrote, God's inheritance is located in the saints. Because of his choosing, redeeming, adopting, and sealing us, we are his possession. The possession is located in the saints. He will fully gain his inheritance when the saints are removed from the earth. Magnificent. Peter O'Brien said, 
that God should set such a high value on a community of sinners destined for eternal perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state. Aren't you kind of sick that you still struggle with sin? I mean, some of you have been saved 40 years. You'd think you'd get over it. But we still struggle with us. We struggle with that tax from without and the appetites from within. And between the two, it can make you miserable. But he said that God would take us hell-deserving sinners still flawed by sin and that he would look on us and he would say, there's my treasure. There's my inheritance. This is what I get out of the deal. What do you get? I get a people for whom I've invested everything. You want to see what God's invested in you? The reason he can't give up on you? The reason why he says you're valuable to him? Just follow me. You got a Bible? Get your phone out. We'll put up with it. But we have few Bible. Get a Bible. Ephesians. I'm going to show you. Okay, watch. Watch what he's invested in you and I as believers. Let, let's just, uh, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with some spiritual blessings. Who said Every. How many has got every? When did you get that? I can't hear you. When you got saved, you mean, I thought you had talking tongues. I thought you had to get the Holy Ghost. When did you get it? How many of you knew you got all this stuff when you got saved? Don't raise your hand. You, you knew, young lady, you're brilliant. We have to sign you up. <laughs> Blessed you with every. By the time I got up from that altar and went home, I didn't know what I had except I was forgiven and going to heaven. I never heard of such thing. What's this? Don't be showing me Ephesians 1, 3. And now he's going to unpackage some of what was in these blessings. Watch. Watch what the Father has done. For he chose you for himself. In the Greek, it's an aorist middle. He for himself chose you. When? Once you got holy, sanctified, start tithing. Well, that means some of you never be chosen because you haven't learned to give yet. He chose you in him before the creation of the world. And he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, can you believe that? Can you believe that? That God wanted you before he made the Milky Way. He said for himself, I want you for me. That's why you learn to 
preach with a handkerchief. It's too overwhelming. You mean God wanted me? Spurgeon said, had God not chosen me before time, it's for sure he would have never chosen me in time. I used to always beg to be on my brother's team, seven years older, and in the projects. I was no good sports, and we played rough. But if I got on his team, we got it made. But to think that the God of all creation that could pick anything, he made Marilyn Monroe, he made Elizabeth Taylor, he actually made some good-looking men. And you mean, are you telling me he wanted you? Does God want you? If you're in Christ, he wanted you. Now, don't get anyone get emotional. This stuff, is, this stuff can make a Baptist shout. Amen. Thank you. About time. Yeah. That got, got, we got one. Keep him alive. Feed him well. Uh, look, he chose him, and he, he uh, predestined us. Let me tell you what the word predestined is. beautiful. Pro original. Does that sound familiar? Pro. Let me, let me put an H in front of the O. Pro previous horizons. That's what it meant. He wrote out your previous horizons. Wait, wait. God has saved you, and he's already marked out the horizons of your life. I like that. And we all get in this path. Wait, I got a free will. Oh, please. It's not even in the passage. Choke it to death. Your free will's got you nothing but a messed up life. This is what God's done, not what you've messed up. He predestined. He picked your gender. He picked your ethnicity. He picked the geography on the planet when you'd be born. He picked when you would be born. He picked your parents. Ooh, and you didn't even have anything to say about it. And had their parents have known what they were going to get, they might have changed their mind. But they're stuck with you. But God's not stuck with any of his children. I knew everything about you before I made the choice. You've never surprised God. He's never been surprised about any of us. He said, I, I, I predestined them. I got to keep going. I adopted them to sonship. We don't have time to look at this, but the, the Romans did not adopt babies. They adopted adults. Adoption among them was weothesia, Adult son placing. Their adoptions took place of those that were going to leave the estate to. They did not adopt babies. They adopted adults. He's saying, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to leave all I got. Oh, let's keep going. He goes on and says, all of this was for the praise of his glory. And you think he's done? And they said, no, let me tell you what I did in the son the son that I love, in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. And redemption means I purchased you with nothing less than the blood, the vicious death of my son. 
you are purchased if you're in Christ. Uh, on your forehead ought to be inscribed, bought, not for sale. Bought, not for sale. Too many of you are for sale. Like the preacher said about girls and morality, if the place isn't for sale, take down the signs. Quit advertising you're for sale. Why don't you advertise I belong to someone that bought me with his blood? Um, I've been forgiven my sins. I'm living in the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom. I'm in his eternal plan in verse 11. He's got me in that plan. Verse 13, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And this is beautiful here. The Spirit doesn't seal you when you get saved. I used to think of it you know, like a postage stamp or on a letter. But, but if you read it closely, he doesn't stamp you he is the stamp. He, and those who have ever canned anything, I used to think of my mother, she would do jam, and we would use home, you know, preserves, and put that wax seal to keep the goodies in and keep the ants out. I've been sealed into Christ. The devil can't get in, and I can't get out. I'm sealed. You've got to be greater than the Holy Spirit to mess with where I am in Christ. I didn't know any of this for the first 10 years I was a Christian. I started Valley Bible because I was sick of the ignorance in the pew. Why doesn't somebody tell the man or woman on the pew how rich they are in God? Quit evangelizing them. Quit making an invitation every week. Quit singing just as I am. Most of them are so confused and defeated with being a Christian, you can't hardly get to evangelism until God's people find out how rich the inheritance they're setting on, how wonderful they, they of all the riches they have in Christ. Why try to reach the world when the starvation is so great on the pew. I had a woman one time, she, after hearing a message, she came to me and uh, sincerely she said, you know, I believe that's the greatest message I've ever heard. And I said, well, I said, in a famine, even my cooking is good. <laughs> and we are in a famine. Most of you saints don't know what you have in Christ. I sure didn't. I had to go to Bible college and seminary because I would never learn it in the church. 
because they didn't think we were smart enough to get it. And the men in the pulpit were ignorant. They never thought enough to know how to teach us. Paul said, I'm praying for you that if you've got this much invested in somebody, adoption, predestination, every spiritual blessing, the Holy Spirit, Christ redeeming, Christ forgiving. The Father says, you see, I've got too much invested in you to ever lose you. Matter of fact, you're my treasured possession. You are the product of my planning, my loving, my giving, my son, my spirit. How could I ever give up on you? Do you think you're worth anything? Did you know to the Father, the Father's going to look at the Son for eternity and say, Grant Pinkston, Edwin, Tim, you, you, these are my treasures. They wouldn't be here had it not been me. I will stop, but I'm not done. I'll do power later. I thought of this. Your kids are usually your greatest investment in life. It's why there's so much crying at graduation. You're saying, there goes my investment. <laughs> and they're walking across, and you're saying, I'm filing bankruptcy for maltuition. You know, they're my greatest investment. I thought of graduation. I graduated as the earth's floodwaters were receding. And uh, four people came to my graduation. In those days, it was El Cerrito, Western Baptist Bible College. First of all, I had a mother and a father there that my dad, I asked him when he began to work. He said, when I was old enough to know the front end and the back end of a mule, and that was five, I would be required to plow an acre before I could play with my friends. He fled home at 14, worked wheat harvest up into Canada, and lived like a hobo on boxcars because of the depression. He was there. My mother was there. When I got to the end of the platform, I raised the bachelors, and I said, Mama, Dad, I'm the first Howard to ever gone to college. I got it for you. Then my sister Hazel was there. Hazel taught me to love books. She taught me to love music. She taught me to hate ignorance. She tested genius at Richmond High, but they weren't going to graduate her because my folks kept her home babysitting Ruth and I. And the principal said, your daughter's tested genius, but you won't let her go to school. Winter work, 
graduated Friday, went to work on Monday for a dollar an hour for Greyhound bus lines in San Francisco. Brilliant, but in my family, you don't go to school, you go to work. There, but she always told me, go to school, go to school. We've got enough ignorant preachers. We need somebody that learns the Bible. Go to school, go to school, go to school. Making at least 35000 a year and helping me go through school. And then there was my wife who dropped out of her junior year of college because she was a stenographer. She said, you must finish. I'll get a job. You can get a job easy in those days as a stenographer. I'll get you through. And she didn't graduate until she's 51 because she took care of an alcoholic mother and raised three daughters and got me through. Now, they all, when I walked across, said, he is our major investment. Years of doctor's appointments, years of raising, my dear wife, years of sacrifice. And I think of God, when you come before him, he's going to say, do you know what all I've got invested in you? <laughs> my son, forgiveness. You're my choice. You're not here. You don't just accidentally fall, well, I'm in heaven. No, no, no. I, I, I chose you way back. Your daddy didn't know what to do with you. Your daddy might have hurt you, called you stupid. Your friends may have beat up on you. Everybody in this life may have treated you like trash. But up here, you're my treasure. I consider my riches the saints when they land in heaven. The father could say to the son, this is my treasure. We got it because we loved we chose, we paid, we saved. You'll be in heaven, glory to his name. Our Father, we thank you that we are in Christ, that we are richer than we ever realized. Oh, Father, I had to sit in seminary classes for someone to tell me how rich I was in Christ. I long to tell your people how rich they are because we stay in the mully grubs, we stay down, we stay depressed, we stay discouraged, the trials of life, the uh, physical ailments, the hear John saying goodbye to a wife, death, life, bills, all of the stuff of life. And someday, someday we'll leave it all for we're actors on the stage and our part is very small. Soon we'll be ushered, ushered into the author and the producer of it all and see the Father and thank the Lamb and say, worthy is the Lamb who made it possible. We bless your name. 
Oh, that we could serve you better. I wish there wasn't so many flaws. I wish I didn't goof up so much. But in the meantime, I approach you and this congregation on the basis of blood shed outside of Jerusalem, shed for sinners, even preacher sinners, such as I am. We bless your name forever. Would you please dismiss by saying, I'm rich in Christ. I obey once in a while, obey the pastor, Say to the one you shake hand, I'm rich in Christ. You're dismissed. <laughs>